Hey guys, welcome to Rank and Vile, the podcast where we are ranking every single horror movie ever made. And this is Ryan. This is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? It's going pretty good. I got a care package from friend of the show, Klon Waldrip, with I think every zine he's ever made, including the oh, brand yeah. new Toby Hooper Hoop Dreams zine. <laughs> You know, it really is a shame that, that we never got Toby Hooper's uh, NBA jet, like a sort of basketball game with Toby Hooper characters. Like you've got Robert Englund's redneck from Eaten Alive playing basketball with Leatherface. That would be so good. Um, I'm not going to pretend. And and why not? Because yeah. we have Leatherface and the, the Xenomorph in Mortal Kombat. So it's not like they're too sacred to uh, to be in there. Th- that's true and on the f- on the flip side uh, when i was a kid i had shaq fu on sega genesis yeah. which was just like w- what if mortal kombat but with shaquille o'neal shaq fu has no right to have graphics as good as it has completely agree they I feel like I- shaq to put in that game <laughs> Mocapping Shaq sounds like a very involved process. Like that's a that that is a that is a large man. So have you watched um Tiger King yet? Speaking of Shaq. I have not seen Tiger King. Um every time that it pops up on Netflix and I'm like, hey, do you guys wanna and then they're like just, they're just like, no, no, I don't want to watch fucking I mean, Tiger King. So I, I think I'm gonna have to watch it on my own time. The discourse has kind of poisoned the well already. So like if you didn't watch sure. it the weekend it came out, I can see kind of like a, I don't really need to. It's it's too much. But yeah. um, they make a very big point in the first episode that Shaq visited Joe Exotic's zoo. And it was presented as, like, see, Shaq is Joe Exotic's friend, and he's, like, a famous dude. And, of course, Shaq and Shaq's PR people, seeing all this, are like, we gotta get out in front of this. Kazam is on Disney Plus now. We're gonna have a new uh, shaq Um Shaq right. Food 2 all... is on Switch right now. <laughs> it's on Nintendo, so Excellent. it's like... We can't have this brand damage. So he's like, I do not know and have never been friends with Joe Exotic. I just went to a zoo and held baby tigers. <laughs> I mean, listen, before anybody knew anything about Joe Exotic, if somebody says, hey, do you want to come to my weird compound and hold a baby tiger? I'm, you know, I'm going to say yes. Like, there's only one correct answer to the question. Do you want to hang out with a baby tiger? Yeah. Now, fortunately, uh, we've all been enlightened. that That's the worst thing you can do. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, though, like, with, uh, I, I love when anybody is like, but Shaq was there, like, what, he's the fucking Goodwill ambassador? Like, this lends, cr- like, credibility to your shady exotic animal operation? Although, actually, now that I say that, it kind of does. Shaq shows up, <laughs> I'm kind of on board. Do you remember, did you ever subscribe to Wizard Magazine as a kid? The uh, comic book magazine? <laughs> No, I, for a minute there, I thought you were talking about Inquest magazine, which was mostly like Magic the Gathering based, and I did subscribe to that. <laughs> no, not but a I did... magazine for wizards, a magazine <laughs> called Wizard. Aspiring wizards, really. Wait, what was, all right, so Wizard magazine was a comic book magazine? Yeah, it was a comic book magazine. They also had a sister publication called Toy Fair that was a monthly action figure magazine. Um, and they just okay. talked about like the new comics that are coming out, and they had a price guide in the back when in the early late 90s early 2000s people thought they were going to pay their way through college with comic books um, oh yeah yeah um side story i have never 
Uh, I actually have sold a comic worth like 300 bucks. No uh, shit. Yeah, but it was not the one that I thought was going to be valuable. It was literally, I picked up Walking Dead number one when it was on the newsstands. And mm -hmm. uh, I was like, that's cool. And I threw it in a box and forgot about it. And then the TV show came out. I was like, wait a minute. I own that. Man, I tell you what, that comic and does then it's like, not have you hold ever... up. <laughs> no, it's not amazing. Um, it's have you ever bad. tried to sell a comic book? No, no, never in my life. I did. Um, I did once try to sell. Uh, I've, I've tried to sell. I've I've tried hawking a lot of things, especially throughout college when I was really broke. Um, but I was honestly, I'm kind of a fake geek goblin. Uh, I've I. never. Yeah, yeah. I've I've never actually gotten super super into comics. Like I've gotten into comics here and there, but I feel like the world of comics, like I I never quite took that leap. Well, um, it's like having confederate money it's a lot more difficult to, <laughs> to sell than you would think um yeah you're really so gonna bury anyway, it all in the backyard Quan uh waldrip has been super nice and you can pick up hoop dreams at clon k-l-o-n.bigcartel.com uh i strongly recommend you get the scene and <laughs> Hell it's yeah. um got a full color cover uh that's just the most wonderful beautiful um collage of toby hooper Characters. hell yeah so we gotta we gotta jump on that um is so that what so what ghoul shit have you been up to Ryan? <laughs> ah geez lately honestly the the ghoul shit that i've been up to has been two things uh it has been um i i fell down uh, a research hole about uh two of the so one of the movies we're doing for this episode dead ringers um i hadn't realized that it was based on an actual real life thing I didn't um, realize that until I was doing research, too. And apparently, so when I saw that in the credit sequence, they say based off of a true, based off the novel Twins. So I was like, okay, that's probably a paperbacks from hell style oh, sure. scary book. No, mm -hmm. it's a book about these real identical twins. Yeah, who, and, and obviously, you know, they didn't do all of the stuff in, like dead ringers like it's sort of like how texas chainsaw massacre is based on a true story and that there was a guy who made masks out of uh, human faces once um but there was that and then also uh, i'm almost done reading uh, a head full of ghosts by paul tremblay um that book fucking rules it is so have you read head full of ghosts no i've read a little bit of tremblay's other stuff but i haven't gotten around to that one yet it, yeah, I, you would love it. It's honestly, um, the hook of the thing is great because it's sort of, um, it, uh, it's a, a possession slash exorcism narrative, but it's turned on its head where it's like, it keeps you guessing the entire time whether or not it's actually an exorcism because it's like there's this family and they need money and the family is falling apart even before the older daughter, like the teenage daughter, um, starts showing possession sign like symptoms. But you never know if that's just her acting out because she hates her parents or she hates what's going on right now or whatever or if there's an actual demon and then um because they need the money uh, a reality tv uh, production company reaches out to them and is like we'll pay you money and save your house if you let us film what's going on and you let us like live in your house with you and just tape you all the time and so much of it is about like the horror of the need to produce content that like there's this family that's fucking falling apart and, and and the daughter needs help and this family needs help and the little sister who's the narrator and protagonist of the thing needs help 
Uh, but it's sort of like, yeah, yeah, but we need that footage because we gotta, we gotta get this on TV. So, and, and it's, I don't know, it's really, really, really well written and it really captures like the unique horror of being a child who has no fucking autonomy and all of these decisions are being made for you. And it applies that to like, also what if your trauma had a producer and like a like a director, you know all that stuff. So it is it is fan fucking tastic. I cannot recommend it enough. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, that reminds me, there was a press release this week for um, as of recording, uh, Christopher mm-hmm. Sabela and Ben Sears. Christopher Sabela of um, Clown Hotel fame. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this? I'm I'm familiar with Chris Sabella. I'm also familiar with Chris Sabella's dog Zola. Yes, Zola um, is pro- a, a very good girl. Um, very good. So. He's doing a new comic book with Ben Sears called Dead Dudes, and it's about ghost yeah. bros that die, like like ghost hunting TV show guys that die and come back as ghosts. See, this just this I'm, I can't wait to read it largely because um, when you were all right when you were a teenager, did you ever get like sort of uh, six packs of like trauma movies that were on this in the same case, and it was just like space zombie bingo and you know sort of all these things um there's one called dead dudes in the house um (laughs) dead dudes in the house is very much like they saw house party and went we i could do that with white people and it's 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 very very bad but dead dudes in the house has this like really twee like living color font on it uh on the logo so i'm yeah so so dead dudes is is it a hangout comedy with ghosts it's it's literally the guys from a sci-fi TV series like like a like a travel America three dudes who yelk reveal yourself to me ghosts die and then become ghosts so they're paranormal investigator bros that uh, die and then come back as ghosts outstanding honestly yeah like I, I love anything that's like sort of horror adjacent but not actually horror where it's like yeah it's about ghosts but it's not meant to actually and the be scary. best thing is so in all of these tv shows where these guys are ghost hunters i find them really antagonistic towards the ghosts and the best part mm-hmm. of the series which comes out in september is going to be that now that the bros are ghosts they're trapped with all the angry ghosts they've antagonized through their career. <laughs> oh, so this is a real uh, Rorschach goes to jail thing with like, you're not, yeah, locked, in, yeah. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. <laughs> exactly. And now they oh. they have to harass these ghosts. Ah, oh, man. That honestly, this just makes me think of, um, there was this Tumblr post from ages ago that was like, can you imagine like being a ghost and like kicking it in the afterlife and you're just hanging out and then like a bunch of teenagers fucking call you with a Ouija board and they're like, who does Justin like? And you're like, who the f- fuck Justin? Who's Justin? Leave me alone. <laughs> like, you're just you're just trying to hang out and everyone's harassing you. Like, for God's sake, I'm a ghost. Can I please get some rest? <laughs> so. so let's talk about Dead Ringers. God damn. All right. Ha, wow. All right, so Dead Ringers um, by David Cronenberg. And this this is one of those movies that even if I didn't know it was by David Cronenberg... I feel like you can tell pretty much immediately that this is a Cronenberg movie. Yeah, if not by the the second or third act, you know for sure. But it's pretty easy to tell when they go to the hospital and everyone is wearing weird church clothes. Oh, it's yeah, it's a lot. So the movie starts with um, so obviously uh, it's about uh, twin brothers who run a gyne- gynecological practice, 
and uh, it and then it gets worse. So the movie starts out, and it's these two kids sort of like uh, walking around. Um, they both look like little nerdlingers with their little bowl cuts and their little glasses, and they're talking about uh, childbirth and fish and 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 sex. And they're like, you know, can you know wait? Fish don't need to touch each other to fuck because they just sort of lay eggs and stuff and. They they harass like they they go up to one of the neighborhood girls and they're like, "Will you have sex with us in a bathtub?" And she's like, "Fuck out of here!" Like, <laughs> I love just, that girl. She's like, "No, you weird twins." She's the only <laughs> woman in this entire movie that is caught on to their bullshit, and she's yeah. eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's she's fucking right from Jump Street. She's like, "All right, you're bu- you're a bunch of little fucking perverts. Get the fuck away from me. You don't even know what fucking is." And then just like leaves, and they're like, "Shrug." All right, well, I guess that didn't work. Um, but so the, the movie starts out and they, uh, are in like medical school and they've devised a, uh, gynecological device, um, that looks fucking excruciating. Now it's not originally gynecological. I think it's supposed to be, uh, like, a, I guess they're called retractors. It's the thing that you put in the cavity to keep the, like, keep everything open so you can get in during a surgery. Right, right, right. It's like it's like uh, uh, the duck lips, but for your guts. And so yeah. it's supposed to like be able to hold the body gut open. Lips. Yeah, yeah, gut lips, exactly. Ooh, but, oh, I hate that. Oh God, that was Jesus. Um, the now it's incredible. So they do the thing, and you can tell right away that the two brothers, uh, Ellie and Bev, Ellie is now they're both played by Jeremy Irons, which uh, he knocks it out of the fucking park in this role as twin brothers. Yes. Um, he's so, he's so, so good. But, um, so Ellie is the, the more sort of like suave, like savvy one. And, uh, Bev is kind of a shrink in Violet. Um, he's kind of, he's kind of a dork and he, he doesn't really, Ellie seduces her and then Bev pretends to be Ellie and also has sex with, and, and it's just, it's fucking, the, the issue of bodily autonomy is so front and center in this movie. Yeah. It's, it's basically... This idea that they are living one life with two people. And that's like the whole theme of the movie is about identity and who is whom. And the idea that because they're played by the same actor, even the audience cannot tell which one is which. Right. Uh, so it's it's just playing with that. So yeah, they... Um, so uh, let me see if I get the names right. Ellie is the smooth, smarmy guy and um, Bev is the more sensitive uh, I even read a uh, I read a critical study of this while mm-hmm. I was doing research. Nice. Um, I believe the author's name is William Beard. He's got a book on Cronenberg's filmography up until the '90s called "The Artist as Monster," and he talks oh, yeah. about how Beverly is the traditionally feminine, and um, Elliot is the traditionally masculine, and their names match as well. But, right. Um, yeah, they just play this, you never know which one of them is which, to all these women to kind of harass them. And basically, since childhood, they are fascinated by women, but they have no clue whatsoever how they operate, inside or out. Right, right, right. Like, they, they're fascinated by women, but they're sort of, they treat women like like women's bodies like cryptids, almost. Yeah. Like, they have no empathy for women's bodies, like, when... Um, even before they start going cuckoo bananas off the fucking rails, 
they you can tell that they have such a sort of detached, fascinated disgust with women's bodies. So like even when we introduce Claire, when Claire is introduced in like the first scene, the first thing they're fascinated about is she has um, three cervixes. A, a trifurcated cervix, so three cervical openings. Yeah, and that's all, that's why they fall for her, if you can even call it that. Yeah, so it's the, the sort of the oddity of, of the female body and also her specifically, and so they both, you know, become become sort of obsessed with her, um, but also obsessed with each other more than anything. Like, it's it's one of the, this movie, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, what's incredible is, so they take her out to dinner, and one of them asks, um, do you, uh, sorry, Jeremy Irons' voice, do you have trouble with your periods? While drinking red wine and maintaining eye contact, yeah, like, and, and, and there's another dude at the table who's like, "Yeah, listen, I'm I'm gonna go. This is I, this is weird. I'm not. I don't like this." I also really like that um, subtle characterization. Both of the twins are drinking alcohol mm-hmm. in every scene of the movie. Oh shit! I didn't even notice that. Yeah, they are. Every time they're in their apartment, they are drinking. You know, big quarantine mood. Uh, this is. <laughs> I feel like this entire quarantine, I've been like eyeballing myself, like, all right, you better not develop a drinking problem. Um, they now there's there's another thing that uh, Ellie says while while um, sort of examining Claire, which is, uh, you know, why don't we? Ha-, you know, he's like, wow, you have really pretty insides, and she's like, wow, thanks. I'm and she's an she's an actress who's getting on in years and wants to have kids, and she's like, wow, thanks. I've Never heard that, you know, that the inside of my body is pretty. And he's like, you know, like, I've often thought there should be, like, you know, beauty contests for, like, you know, who has the best spleen or the most perfectly developed pair of kidneys. And then he says, and this is going to haunt me uh, for the rest of my life, why don't we have standards of beauty for the entire human body? Um, Which is not always what you want to hear from your gynecologist. Um, And and it's also, uh, it's incredible because it's just, it's such a perfect illustration of, like, body fascism i think especially from from male uh, medical professionals where you know they they sort of have like like the bmi for example was created by a fucking insurance guy as a way to deny people coverage and yet people still look at it like it's some kind of medical standard anybody should try to adhere to yeah i think the whole there's it's very pointed that the mantle twins have no clue what they're doing they're professor in gross anatomy says this is you made this weird tool for a cadaver but no way in hell could you use this on a real person and then later they try to use it on a real person and then um uh beverly tries to use it on a real person and elliot says remember this wasn't approved for live use he's like well yeah i'm gonna do it anyway so like they have no idea how it's almost like the movie is about how these twins don't know how human beings function but especially women and and it's almost like they chose this career uh because of like some kind of weird fascination uh so later when um beverly has gynecological instruments for the treatment of mutant women made. Jesus. Well, and so, well, yeah, so so how that happens, basically, is he, so, uh, 
Ellie, uh, Ellie seduces Claire, uh, and then Claire starts a relationship with Bev, and then Bev goes and catches feelings, and Ellie is very distraught by this, um, and uh, Claire also has uh, a, a substance abuse problem that Bev then also picks up himself um, during his relationship with, with her, and then she, you know, she, she fucks off because she's tired of this entire thing. But so uh, Bev is left with a substance abuse problem. And then this starts sending him down the path to total mental collapse where he's like having paranoid fantasies. Um, and then his uh, disgusted fascination with the female body starts to manifest as there are women with horrifying mutant genitals and we need to help them and I need to fix them. And back to the medical fascism, the reason he comes to this conclusion is he shoves a um, retractor into a woman's um, cervix that isn't made for a human being. And she says, that hurts. And he says, it's made of solid gold. It can't hurt. And then he's like, get out of my office. Well, that scene is incredible because he gets really angry when she's like, ow, that hurts. And he's like, it can't hurt. What the fuck are you talking about? And he's like hitting the wall and yelling about how it's a solid gold mantle retractor. This is the best equipment in the best office. And like my understanding of like every woman I've ever talked to who's had to go into a doctor's office, this is basically just a documentary. Yeah. (laughs) About like the way medical professionals fucking treat you if you have any kind of concern or complaint. Yeah, it can't possibly be that. No, you're you're lying. And then this is the no, this is the wildest fucking part though. Um, he's like, you know, scar from the Lion King voice. You know, uh, does it does it does it hurt when you have sex? Uh, or does does it hurt when you have intercourse? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, all right, what did you have sex with? And she's like, I'm sorry. And he's like, well, I once treated a woman who fucked a Labrador Retriever, so I just thought. And this is where he fucking takes it after she's like. Ow, your Rubik's Cube hurt my genitals. Like, he, you have the puzzle box from Hellraiser inside <laughs> of me. Yeah, and I, you know, and so this is the thing that, you know, sends him completely out of his mind. And so he goes to an artist. Now, what's incredible about this? So this guy is basically H.R. Giger, right? Like, that's who this is? Not even. Like, he. What I really like is Beverly is walking down the street and looks into a gallery and it's like mm-hmm. geometric sculptures. It's just iron beams. And he's like, this guy, this guy's going to help me. <laughs> yeah, this guy gets it. Uh, and so he goes in and he's like asking this guy like, hey, bro, what if you made some crazy experimental gynecological surgical tools? And the guy is like, surely there are actual medical equipment professionals who can help you with that? And he's like, no, 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 they don't get it. We've always been too radical for the gynecology industry. Um, And he commissions this uh, artist to make these tools. Which, by the way, this guy doesn't question shit. He's just like, all right, sounds cool. Yeah, he's like, that that would make a good art piece. Because, again, he's taking it, like, as an art piece. And later he's... right. He doesn't really steal the designs. He makes two sets, one for Beverly and one for his art show. Right. So I don't think this guy actually thinks that Bev is going to dig around in people's bodies with, for example, like, you know what it is? His tools look like, uh, you remember um, Catherine O'Hara in Beetlejuice, her sculptures? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's basically that, but you shove it up inside someone. Uh, and he, so he gets these tools, uh, and at this point, his substance abuse problem is kind of at its peak, I think. Like, he is shooting up in the middle of the day in the office. Yeah. Um, and he just so tells he, his receptionist, I don't really care. Because she's like, this is my two weeks. You're booting up in the office. He's like, okay, I don't really care. <laughs> All right, great. And so, yeah, so then uh, he, he goes to perform surgery while, like, fucking Blotto out of his mind. And now, this, the, the, this, the surgery outfits at this practice, which everybody is wearing, um, it's like red nun's habits with face masks. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, like, this This looks like uh, if at an Eyes Wide Shut party, if you have a bad trip and need somebody to give you an adrenaline needle or something, these are the people who pop up to do that. Uh, and so he's got the experimental tools, and, you know, everybody around him can kind of tell that he's having not, maybe not having a normal one here. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, full disclosure, I am trying to figure out, later in the movie, they call one of these tools, like, the D-Lifer or something like that, and I can't remember the exact name. <laughs> it's, it's called, like, the Exsanguinator or something like that. They're like, yes, we'll use right. that. And it's basically the stabby, cutty one. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, br- bring me the pokey tool. And it's, yeah, yeah. It, it looks like... It's it looks like a big uh, finger with knuckles on it, and it's got, like, a pointy end on it. Like, it looks like a scorpion's tail. Yeah, yeah. So, I... I stumbled upon an article from Wired magazine where this male uh, columnist is saying, he keeps calling his audience ladies, and he keeps saying, I know how painful these are because even though I don't have a uh, a vulva, I do have a rectum. And it's just like, it's a bad luck. Don't do that, folks. That's you know. Listen, I may I may not have boobs, but I have kneecaps, and let me tell you, like that's it, it's not a one to one, fella. I'm not gonna read this quote um, exactly because I don't want to give him clicks, and I also want to be fair use. But uh, <laughs> right. he goes into very explicit detail describing his penis, uh, which is the most. <laughs> Oh. Guy who writes for a Wired magazine thing I've read in a long Man. time. Actual American fun bucks traded hands for this dude to write about his hog for Wired. <laughs> that, God, this country was a mistake. So anyway, here's Dead Ringers on, on Blu-ray. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, Jesus. I yeah, really so like he... that. Um, so, so speaking of shouting out someone who does deserve credit... Um, mm-hmm. The film scholar William Beard, if you haven't, if you're into Cronenberg um, movies, or maybe like you're like me, and when you see something that people likes, it's not good enough, you have to understand why people like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Artist is Monster by William Beard is A+. Plus. Uh, because one of the things he says in the chapter on Dead Ringers is, quote, the male is the author of his own catastrophe. Which is the perfect encapsulation of, like, every Cronenberg movie I've seen that, like, they just can't not, (laughs) and they just have to fuck everything up that they touch. And the Mantle Brothers especially just can't just be normal, professional (laughs) adults. They've just got to ruin everything on their own hands. Because even the 
Beverly's relationship is going fine, and then he just automatically assumes either Elliot is going to steal his girlfriend, or when she leaves, she's going to leave him, which is um, which is really cringy because then he spirals into like, you know, a bender because some guy picked up the telephone when he called right. his girlfriend, who turned out to be her secretary. Yeah. Yeah, it's honestly, yeah, he, everything could have been fine. Like, you think of, like, Videodrome, like, if Max Wren had maybe just fucking chilled the fuck out for a moment, or he wouldn't have ended the up. goddamn channel. Yeah, dude, like, it's, it's the gold, it, cable is a thing by the early 80s. Like, you could have done something else, or, like, you know, with uh, Seth Brundle. Or like, tell if someone had, else and just leave it at that. Yeah, you could just pull a Jay Leno and be like, you hear about this? You hear about this Videodrome? And then you're fine. You don't need to, you don't need to do anything else. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. The, the mental brothers could be like, hey, I need help with this. Well, see, honestly, it's a very. I, I feel like there's a reason I like Cronenberg and, and Clive Barker together. Like, with, it makes sense that they work together on Nightbreed. Um, it's a similar thing to me of Clive Barker with like the thing about a protagonist who sees a, a birthmark on their body and goes, "Oh Jesus," and starts kind of picking at it and picking at it and picking at it, and they can't fucking leave it alone, and then they die from blood loss. Yeah. Like it's just it, it yeah, it's it's a, a cycle of of compulsion and obsession and it just uh it's a bit of a you know, it, it, it doesn't doesn't end great. Um the so Bev tries to do a surgery with the pointy knuckle while uh fucked off his tits on I think heroin or morphine. I don't think it's heroin, I think they it's say just purely drugs. Medical. It's just everything. <laughs> Yeah, like, you can't really imagine one of the brothers going up to, like, a drug dealer and being like, hello, do you have any smack for me? Like, he's, they're, 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 they're getting fucked up on morphine. prescriptions. And, like, one of the best notes is earlier in the film, you see one of the brothers, and you can't tell which because they wear the same clothes, at the hospital right. filling a prescription. And the pharmacist, one, says... Uh, hey, uh, my name isn't Andrew. Not all Asian Americans look alike, <laughs> which Jesus. is a really great subtle line that is is not is kind of buried if you're not paying yeah. close enough attention. But he goes, Shit. "Oh yes," and signs the prescription pad. And later, you see him open a bottle, and it says Beverly Mantle, prescribed by Beverly Mantle. And you realize that at that moment, he signed the wrong name on the wrong prescription pad. Yeah, they, they play it pretty fast and loose with identity and personhood. So I also read that Jeremy Irons had two dressing rooms for this production. He did. But he didn't use them. <laughs> well, and, and apparently he used uh, this technique where, like, he, you know, used, like, different sort of focus points for the thing. Apparently the big thing that he did was uh, the weight of his foot. When he was playing Ellie, he would, like, put the weight of his foot on the ball of his foot. And when he was playing Bev, he would, like, place it on the heel or the other way around. He used feet. And he mixed the the costumer department made discreet outfits, and he just mixed them up. Yeah. Which and blessed I think it... the costume department for dealing with that. <laughs> must have been frustrating. Beverly spins out and Ellie's like, this is going to ruin our practice because we're basically indistinguishable. So even though, and, and Ellie's girlfriend says, who's a different woman says, um, 
hey, just be your own person and let him torch his career and you do yours. And he says, no, yeah. because one, I'm lazy and my brother does all my work. And two, people can't tell us apart, so we would go down together. So, right. So Ellie, again, because uh, he's the author of his own catastrophe, says, I'm going to get my brother clean in our clinic over the weekend and not ask for help from anyone. Yeah, we like to keep it in the house over at uh, Casa de Mantle. Uh, and he, yeah, he sort of takes it on himself um, to, to, like, nurse his brother back to health. Jeremy Irons plays a great, petulant little wiener. Yes. Like, when he, with both brothers at various points in the movie, where they're sort of uh, reverting back to a childlike state of being in the, the, the fetal position and sort of whining about wanting various things and just being sort of, There's you know, a petulant. moment late in the movie where... Um, they realize it's their birthday and one brother says together, happy birthday. And he says, do we have ice cream to go with this cake? And he goes, no, we didn't buy it. And the other one like pouts. It's incredible. He's like, I want ice cream. And it's, yeah. Um, so he, uh, they, they both to keep pace with Bev's, uh, addiction. Uh, Ellie also picks up all of those addictions so that he can like keep pace with him. Yeah, and, because they're... and after watching um, Basket Case also this week, I was like, is this a movie where they have they're the same? Because there's also a dream earlier in the movie where they are conjoined. So I'm like, are mm -hmm. they psychically linked? Is this some kind of supernatural thing? But no, they just for some reason both decide to do drugs. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, and, and to me, it's it's very much like at this point, they are doing like they, they were codependent before, but they're both sort of gnarling into one another and becoming less distinguishable because they just, you know, it doesn't even make any goddamn sense for Ellie to be like, well, I got to keep pace with you and I have to make sure that we're both addicted. Um, It's, it, you know, it's not ideal when your sponsor is also fucked up uh, yeah. on Dilouted. <laughs> Also, um, when uh, your sponsor's girlfriend says, hey, you're not really qualified to sponsor your brother. Get someone else. And he's like, no, I got it. Um, yeah, a, yeah. Another big quarantine mood from this movie is how quickly they just destroy the house or, or the, the office with just food everywhere and garbage um, mm -hmm. and melted candle wax. It's, it's a very big, uh, I felt seen by that. Oh yeah, well, cake yeah, on the me, bookshelf me, I, just smashed between the pages of a book. I saw that and was just like, "Listen, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't ask to be called out like this." Uh, but <laughs> actually, and you see the apartment uh, wrecked to shit because uh, after so uh, Claire, um, so Bev is still fucking crazy about Claire, and you know he finally calls her sort of at the the bottom of his you know. Uh, bottoming out and you know he's sort of like yeah but there was a guy when i called and she's like yeah pal that was my that was my secretary like you're you got freaked out because you were worried about losing me and then you lost me so you know and so he goes to her and they reconcile uh and you know he's like huh it's really funny i would have thought that elliot would have been uh kicking down the door uh to come to come look for me and she's like yeah i haven't heard i haven't I haven't seen Boo. He, he hasn't been around. And so Bev goes back uh, to the apartment, which has, it looks like a Ninja Turtle had a, had a nervous breakdown. Yes. <laughs> just pizza and fucking just every, just bullshit everywhere. And, he, and then he finds his brother fully clothed sitting in the shower 
with the shower running, which is how you know you're having a normal one. Yeah, yeah. Now, what's also incredible, and I got to point this out, uh, I was watching this on my computer uh, and having to sort of switch tabs occasionally to to write down, you know, show notes and do other stuff. And um, hearing the disembodied voice of Jeremy Irons, which my my childhood brain completely associates with Scar from Lion King. Me too. It's say, a curse of our uh, generation. Yeah, yeah. I can't I can't unhear it. So all I can hear is just Scar from the Lion King going, "You have three cervixes, fabulous." And you're just like, "What the? Why?" Um, but so. He uh, comes back to the, the, the rules reverse, and he's helping out uh, Ellie, who's at the bottom of his addiction because he thought that he was losing Bev to Claire, basically. Um, and so this is the point at which they are fully codependent. Like, they are, they are occupying the, the, the gutter together. Yeah, and they're like, oh, let's just do drugs together. <laughs> yeah, they basically just become drug buddies. And so there's... They, uh, one of them is like trying to figure out like, okay, so tomorrow we'll have a little bit of dilouted cause fuck it. It's the weekend. <laughs> uh, and you know, it's like a special little, little lunchtime treat for us. Uh, and then, you know, they, they sort of keep going like on Monday, we're definitely gonna, we're definitely gonna kick like, oh yeah, definitely. But on Monday, we're going to cut ourselves. We're going to kick this on Monday. Um, and I also love that because both of them lying to each other and also lying to themselves about their addiction. Yeah. It feels really fucking honest where, like, you can tell that they even half believe it themselves when they say that they're going to kick on Monday. Yeah. And then Beverly murders his brother. <laughs> yeah. So they both they're both uh, fucked out of their minds and they're they're talking Just about a Chang. Suited riotously. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. They um, well, they're, 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 you know, they're talking about Chang and Dang. Uh, the, uh, the, the conjoined twins from like the, what famous ones from back in the yeah, day? Yeah. They're like the first circus performing conjoined twins in America or something like that. Right. And so they talk about like, you know, the, the operation to separate, uh, Elliot and, and, and Bev. And so, uh, Bev, uh, excuse me, not Bev, Elliot climbs into the, uh, the stirrups basically. And Elliot has all of the tools or not Elliot, excuse me, Beverly. See, I keep mixing them up, which I think is intentional. Yeah. Um, so Beverly has all the fucking scary mutant vagina tools. And he's like, no, it's cool. I got this. I'm going to fix you. Um, and then he basically rips open a, a sort of a substitute vagina in Elliot's uh, belly. Yeah, and just murders I, the shit out of him. Yeah, and you never, and actually, you never totally see. That's the thing that is incredible about this movie to me. You don't really see any gore. No, and you don't really get a good look at the tools either. They're always flashed on screen and then left. So you're like, I just, I just want to see what that, it, which is really yeah. effective, like restraint in directing. Yeah, it's like the xenomorph not being shown until the very end of the thing. Like, you, yeah, you see little bits of these horrifying tools. You don't actually see... I, I don't think you really need to see a diagram of what Bev does to Ellie yeah. to, to kill him. I have been told those are on the special features. I have this on Blu-ray, and I am going to go look at that, because <laughs> I have to fucking know. Um, but in the context of the movie, it's it's kind of great that, you you know, it's not really... Because Cronenberg, especially, you're thinking of, like, Videodrome and Scanners and, like, the level of sort of gore he was able to get away with. Which, side note here, 
the Canadian film industry of the late seventies and early eighties is fucking fascinating because they the government was basically sort of like giving people tax breaks and subsidies to support films because they were trying to create a film industry in Canada. And so you basically had like the Canadian government presents the brood. And it's like the fact that this was a government thing, like David Cronenberg, you know, the fact that he was allowed to get away. I just I love that he was, you know, the, one of the most commercially successful Canadian directors. And this is the shit he wanted to do. Yeah, like, and he, he has Shivers, which is basically a movie where turds with teeth bite you. <laughs> yeah, Shivers and then Rabid, which is basic. Yeah, like he's, it's, it's, I, I love so much that of any director to catch the big cog in Canada, it was the guy who wants to do body horror. Um, It's just fantastic. So uh, Bev murders the shit out of Ellie and then passes out and wakes up uh, from, you know, I, I probably by this point the drug haze has cleared somewhat. Uh, and he's like, wow, tell you what, Ellie, I had the craziest dream, and then slowly realizes what he did the night before. Yeah. And then he um, goes downstairs to call Claire, and she says, who is this? And he's like, I don't know. And he, he drops the phone and walks away and then goes back upstairs and dies. Yeah, and I love that because it's like, who am I? Uh, well, I've got one of two answers, so I don't know which of those is the right one. And he, so yeah, he he just like he crawls back upstairs, wraps up his brother in a little toga, basically with sheets, so that you know his gaping belly wound is not you know sort of dripping all over the floor. Uh, and he crawls uh, sort of onto his brother's lap, and I think it's implied that he dies of drug withdrawal. Yeah, that's that's implied. If you don't know that, it's kind of hard to figure out, but that's pretty much... I mean, the narrative is done. You kind of know yeah. that without one, the other will not be alive for long. Right, which they sort of hammer home with Chang and Ang that, like, uh, one of one of the, the conjoined twins, like, died of a stroke in their sleep, and then the other one died shortly at like died, died very quickly after is the way the story goes and this is also covered in that episode of um x-files that we talked about yeah. recently yeah wow we're getting a lot that, that i tell you what that uh that particular uh news item is really making the rounds on our podcast yeah so where do you want to put um put dead ringers on the list other cronenberg films on our list include the fly and um is Videodrome on here? I wait. Let me see. Thank goodness for Control Finds. We've never done Videodrome. Wow. Uh, good wow. for us. Wait a minute. I love Videodrome. How have we never done Videodrome? <laughs> Just haven't done it yet. Um, you know, but the fly there's... is yeah. at a controversial um, spot on the list. So let's go there. Uh, I myself take issue with the fly being that far down the list. I, I, I feel like we gotta we gotta we gotta have an episode at some point where we like relitigate uh, certain certain things. Like maybe we both have like a wish list of six movies that we think were either hard done by or uh, unfairly given uh, too much uh, too much uh, credit. Um, but also, I'm salty because I just love the fly. Uh, well, here's so the, the fly deal. is it... since we have uh, we have chiseled this in marble, it's really hard to undo. It. <laughs> That's true. It's it's this legally is binding. A headstone, which will be on our tomb, because this project <laughs> will kill us. No, this is gonna be like it's gonna be like uh yeah you know like Quincy 
thought Carnosaur was better than The Fly, 1986. <laughs> and that's going to be, it's going to be on our thing. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. So, so uh, The Fly is at 164. Another great narrative in the uh, scientist doesn't fucking know when to call it a day genre. Um, I think... Which might be I, my favorite genre. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. It, yeah. Honestly, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I think Dead Ringers might be better than The Fly. Yes. Now, here's I, what I want to yeah. ask. Is mm-hmm. Dead Ringers better than Hellraiser 2? Oh, definitely. Definitely, definitely better than Hellraiser 2. Um, I think that... Now, here's the thing about Dead Ringers. I think this is a great movie. I think it's a hard watch. I think there's a lot of stuff... Like, it's not a Thursday at, you know evening sort of throw it on before you know dinner sort of movie. Um, but it's... I feel like the thing Cronenberg achieves in this, I think this is one of his best movies. Yeah. Like it it is so it's got so much like I don't know there's there's a weird tenderness in it. Like there's the bit that makes me want to die is when uh Bev wakes up and uh Ellie is in uh, on the chair dead. And he like wakes up and he's like looking for he like wakes up and he's like you know starts saying Ellie's name kind of like half-heartedly scanning the room for him. And always his eyes are avoiding where he in you know where he knows Ellie's body is, and it's just like a full minute of him muttering the word Ellie over and over again, like a lost child scanning the room as he walks across the room. Um, there is there is tenderness in this movie that does that I never see coming. Yeah, like it's 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 fantastic. Um, so yeah, so I think it's better than Hellbound Hellraiser two. Uh, all right, here we go, Quincy. Is Dead Ringers better or worse than Wishmaster? I'm gonna say it's At, better. It's it's a better yeah. made film. Here's the problem: is it's not fun, which is making it very no. hard because a lot of these movies are miles more fun. But in terms of like achievement in film, it mm-hmm. is very good. So I guess well, the question like... is: what is our like ultimate determiner? Is it Fun yeah. or is it craft? Fun, funny man, David Cronenberg. Like, where are the laughs, David? Come on, we need jokes. Um, now, actually, that's a that's a good point. I okay, all right, okay, okay, all right. So, looking up the list, I think uh, I want to. Uh, now, there there are two genres, right? There's David Cronenberg's guy doesn't know when to give up. And there's um, the uh, classic genre, Sam Neill loses his shit. Um, <laughs> and at number 137, we have Event Horizon uh, with Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne. I think I kind of want to give the edge to Event Horizon. Really? Because I would give the event, the edge to um, Dead Ringers. So tell me why you think Event Horizon is better. I wish I had a better thing to say than the thing I'm about to say. It's fun. I just like it. I like Cosmic Horror. I like uh, I like Hellraiser in Space, the other one. Um, but I think you're right. I think Dead Ringers is a better movie, even if it's not as as fun as Event Horizon. Um, let's look at... All right, all right, all right. Let's okay, look at... Uh, so here's the problem, yeah. is Zyrum is one slot above, and the special effects in that movie of the wiggly, like... Oh yeah, crab critter is so good, um, mm-hmm. and and if we're talking about like 
Cronenberg, I think that although this is a technically better film, I mean, we could mm-hmm. say History of Violence or Eastern Promises are also up there, but they're oh, not. Definitely. They don't belong on this list. No, no, they're not horror, but like, yeah, History of Violence is fucking out. I, I got, I'm such a Cronenberg nut swinger. I just love Cronenberg so much. So, what if we put it between Zyrum and Event Horizon? I feel really good about that, especially because it bridges the body horror aspect. Because, like, Zyrum is a squishy, squishy little film. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I feel I feel really good about that. So, yeah, so uh, coming in uh, at our new number 137 is Dead Ringers from 1988. Now. Um, to talk about a very different movie about twins. Uh, let's talk about basket case. Basket- <laughs> fucking basket case. Yeah, all right. So uh, a, a bit of a departure. For, for, for twin narratives. Uh, Basket Case is, to me, a classic in the early 80s, 42nd Street in New York genre. Oh, yeah. It was literally just made to play over a weekend and get their money back. And for some reason, it got popular. And the director well, himself yeah. has been like, I don't know why people like this movie. It's not good. <laughs> See, disagree, though. This movie rules. So uh, this movie is also free on uh, Tubi. Uh, which we're yeah, I big fan of Tubi. Um, oh, but I now, forgot to tell you another thing on Tubi is um, immortalized the short-lived AMC show where they do rogue taxidermy. It's like Project Runway with rogue taxidermy. What? So they're like what? this week we're going to the secret ingredient <laughs> is fox scrotums and you have to make a jaunty cap. Tim Gunn voice. Use the Petco accessories wall very carefully. <laughs> Jesus, that's a, I. Well, I am. I am thrilled to watch uh, Project Runway, but for taxidermy. It's free. Um, I am. I am. I am serving you dead raccoon eleganza. <laughs> um, now, all right. So, basket case. The the plot of the movie is that there's literal this, uh, this fella. fishy goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, holy shit! Um, I've also been watching way too much fucking Drag Race, so it's it, my brain is my brain is steeped in it. Um, so the plot of this movie is pretty simple. It's uh, uh, very straightforward. It, you know, I would say it lacks the uh, the complexity of Dead Ringers. Maybe um, there's a young fella, a young lanky fella with hair, with a very fluffy and luxurious head of hair, um, who goes to New York City, and I think this was literally filmed like in Forty Second Street, right? Yeah, it's it's just all on location. It's just we knew a guy that let us borrow this room for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, and he uh, he checks into this uh, hotel, and uh, he's got this basket that's sort of wriggling, you know. And and the guy who who rents the place, which by the way, my understanding from every uh, exploitation and horror movie I've seen from this period is that if you ran a motel in New York City during this period. There was one outfit you were allowed to have. You had to have an A-frame. You had to have a greasy bald spot. You had to have a mustache. You had to be mean. Also, like, um, bonus points for suspenders. Oh yeah, you gotta. Oh, you gotta have the suspend. You don't. You don't. You know. You don't want the trousers falling down. Um, the yeah. Across the board, every motel owner in every movie is just like, yeah, you piece of shit. Like, just basically, horrible. you have to be Abe from um, Hey Arnold. Yeah, yeah, you're literally Abe from Hey Arnold. Uh, and so he checks into this thing, and you you realize very quickly that, 
what he has in uh, what the young guy has in the wicker basket is a uh, is his conjoined twin that is sort of not fully developed and kind of like gruesome looking. Yeah, um, yeah, and he Which just lives in the wicker basket. Belial, because his dad is so angry that this uh, these conjoined twins killed his wife, and that Belial is so monstrous. Is like it doesn't deserve a name, and they're like, "Well, it, give it one." And they're like, I don't know, Belial, and they wrote that down on the birth certificate, like that wasn't a, an there awful have, thing. There should have been pushback. I think one of the nurses should have been like, "Hey, come on now, can or can the you kids be, aunt, be mind? the the kids' aunt who is like their caretaker and clearly loves them should be like, "No, we're not going to call you that. We'll call you <laughs> Bill." Yeah, your name's Bill now. You're, yeah, Bill, Bill Isle. Like, even, like, you don't even, Bill Isle. Like, what was Abaddon too fucking wordy for the <laughs> certificate? Like, you couldn't just call him, like, Beelzefer the Damned? Um, so his brother, Belial, um, and he basically, he's trying to uh, get revenge. Um, the two of them are trying to get revenge on the doctor who separated them at birth. Yes, the team of doctors. So it's yeah. a slasher movie where they're just one by one killing all of these doctors which to add insult to injury they discover that the main doctor and they all have names like um stabby uh erectum and like (laughs) (laughs) yeah this was shot in a weekend kill gore bloody bag (laughs) (laughs) and yeah and they they sort of dispatch them sort of one by one and then wouldn't you know it uh, the the young fellow Dwayne uh, falls in love um, with uh, with a young lady. The and... the receptionist of the doctor he's trying to murder. Right. Except right. it's not and... revealed early on that he's the killer. No, uh, I feel I feel like you kind of already know that he's the killer. Like it's a real it's a real Henry portrait of a serial killer uh, situation See, that's where so like you, you know because when I watched it there was like plausible doubt that he's like yes I know that my brother is the killer but like I am letting it happen so Clon Waldrip also sent me um, a zine just on Basket Case uh, nice and what's really great in his essay that he wrote about this movie is he said if you think about it. Um, Dwayne is like worse than Belial because he's manipulating his brother. So like he mm-hmm. tells his brother murder these people so that he doesn't have he's got plausible deniability and he can get away with it. And he's like he can yeah. and he gets most angry at his brother when Belial is getting in the way of his like normal life and his girlfriend. So like the fact that he can't have coitus with his girlfriend is what is like the last straw and Dwayne's like we're done brother yeah yeah and so then it's sort of brother diabolical yeah actually fuck Dwayne fuck Dwayne he's a piece of shit like he's (sighs) man he yeah yeah although you know he's so pretty is Dwayne he's very very pretty and he's got that hair I just want to I just want to fluff it with my fingertips um it's like it's like it's like candy floss it's like a cocker spaniel um, and so the, the, he and the brother are enraged at each other, um, and then they spiral into drug addiction together and, uh, move into the same house. No, I'm, that was, that's not, um, they eventually have a fight and fall out the window together. Yeah. And they both die, except all of the sequels are like, but they survived. 
you know, God bless, I feel like. If every couple of years you're like, you want to make another basket case? Like, didn't they didn't they die in the previous one? Like, eh, fuck it. Fuck it. So it's there's fine. a I'm... third basket case, uh, basket case three, the progeny, where Belial fathers a, a literal basket of, of children. <laughs> oh my God. He puts them in a basket even? Yeah. Well, I think it's a bassinet, but but you know, incredible. I yeah. So honestly, uh, we um eventually uh, on this uh, podcast, um, we I feel like we should we should do all the basket case movies. I mean, we might uh, do basket case three for next week. Uh, my I'm my in buddy Matt mood. My buddy Matt Wallace is uh, apparently can quote every single basket case movie from heart. <laughs> um, so I'm I yeah yeah it could be it could be good. Uh, but yeah, so they they fall out the window and they die. Although honestly, you know what it is. If Friday the 13th can get away with, eh, fuck it, Jason survived, next movie, and, like, completely forget its own continuity every single fucking time they made a movie. Then why not, why not Basket, Basket Case? A movie yeah, that at was least not Basket Case meant is to go anywhere. <laughs> you know what? Alternate timeline where Belial uh, is the monster that catches the big cog instead of Jason Voorhees, and we get, like, Belial takes Manhattan again. <laughs> it's yeah. just, like, him constantly... <laughs> Well, yeah, no, in like, New York. Um, Belial needs to go down south for a while. So, like, okay. Oh, yeah. So, pitch me your basket case reboot. Okay, here's my basket case reboot. All right. Uh, Bel- Dwayne and Belial are both. Uh, Dwayne is an intern at a tech startup in San Francisco, and there's he's trying to develop an app that will locate every medical professional who is responsible for the the separation of him and his brother. Uh, But his brother, uh, uh, Belial, uh, accidentally um, becomes a hero of the (laughs) alt-right. And everyone's like, oh, like, Dwayne is just a beta cuck, and Belial's the true Chad, or whatever the fuck. And, uh, yeah, and they... And then they spiral into drug addiction together, and one of them performs surgery on the other. So you I'm know what it is? I just wanted by um, that tweet. Who I can't remember who the author is of the tweet. I want to look it up so I don't like misquote. Um, that said that Dead Ringers is just a really goopy episode of Frasier. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that was that was Jeff Lapid. Uh, he's that tweet is so because you just picture sort of like uh, Frasier. I'm very sorry. I I, I I appear to have ripped open your chest with my instruments. He's like, damn it, Niles, you've performed surgery and created a vagina on my stomach. And it's, I mean, they, although they don't really have a Jack Russell Terrier in the mix, which I think is what was missing from Dead Ringers. Yeah, I agree. Did you know John Mahoney is not American? Really? I learned this today, and I'm deeply upset because, Shit. like, um, like uh, Ellie in the in the shower, my go-to for adults in crisis is John Mahoney in Say Anything, sitting in the bathtub with his suit on and clutching <laughs> his head. And every time <laughs> I imagine someone is having a bad day, I assume they have gone home to do that exact same thing. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the international sign for giving up is sitting in your bath in a full suit. What am I gonna do? Staring, I just, what am I gonna do? Just staring into the middle distance. Um, but so, Basket Case, I fucking adore this movie. It is a drippy cheesesteak of a movie that knows exact. It knows its business. It is a tight ninety minutes. It knows what I want as a viewer, and then it gets me that. And I really fucking love Basket Case. Is it better than Dead Ringers? 
No. <laughs> I don't think it's better than Dead Ringers. But it's more fun, which is the problem. Oh, okay, okay. It so, is. It as is. Uh, murderous separated conjoined twins go, is mm-hmm. Belial or the twin from Humbug from the X-Files a better murderous twin? Oh, I feel like I gotta go with Belial. At least because we get more FaceTime with Belial. Yeah. Um, although Belial, yeah, I don't know. It, it, at least the other, the twin from X-Files at least was trying to find another brother because his brother sucked so much, which also places him in the same camp as Belial, whose brother fucking sucks. Yeah. Um, because his brother says, Belial, watch this cable television that doesn't get any channels. So because the TV is stuck between channels, Belial trashes the apartment and then murders a looky-loo neighbor who wants to see what's going on. Also, um, checks out. one thing that makes Basket Case better is there is an actual character in this movie named Mickey O'Don- Brian Mickey O'Donovan. <laughs> Man, that's Irish Potato McIrishman. Like, that's extremely just powerful. And very to, powerful to really energy. guilt the lily there, he's an alcoholic, too. <laughs> The so they're like, we just can't test. trust you. You know what? Yeah, that's... Honestly, all right, so I feel good about putting uh, Basket Case above Dead Ringers because it's fun and doesn't make me un- unbelievably sad. Uh, but I think I know where I need to put it below, and it's Deep Blue Sea at number 129. Yes. Um, largely because they both have... They're both very effects-heavy movies, but Basket Case doesn't have a tie-in rap from LL Cool J. So I would actually argue that it should go down a little further because that mutant cat in Uninvited is way better than Basket Case. Belial's basically a gray Boglin. Yeah, you're totally right. I'm so, sorry, yeah, so Boglins Braden... are better than the Basket Case design. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking uh, children, Boglins were weird rubber toys from the 80s. I mean, I feel like everything was plausibly either a gremlin or a boglin during this period, if it was a puppet in a movie. But yeah, so I feel good uh, putting uh, Basket Case underneath uh, Graydon Clark's Uninvited and above Mindhunters at our new number 131. Now, why would you say it goes above Mindhunters? Because I, rem- I, I, I retain nothing about Mindhunters as a thing, but I do remember... I will remember the rest of my life what Belial looks like. That's, that's in my, fair. In my, the in only my notable thing about Mindhunters is Christian Slater is in it, I think. I mean, we're all happy he's there, but like Mindhunters, it's kind of a, it's a big nothing for me. Like, I don't... I th- I, I, is that the movie where the guy gets frozen with Nitro? Um, not, I don't know. Wait, are you thinking remember. of Demolition Man? No, I, I don't remember anything about Mindhunters. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So fuck it. So fuck it. Honestly, I'm... I will put anything above Mindhunters at this point because of how little I care about or remember anything about <laughs> that movie. So yeah, so all right. So our new number, 131, uh, is Basket Case. Um, Goddamn. This was this was a full episode of, of twin, twin-versation. We did it. Uh, twin, twin-trist. Yeah. Uh, Quincy, where uh, can our listeners uh, find us on the internet? So we have uh, a website, rankandvile.com. So you can go find us there. You can find our Twitter at RankinBalcast. You can drop us a line at RankinBalcast at gmail.com. Um, we have a Discord. We have a 
Patreon, patreon.com slash rankandvile, um, all kinds of fun stuff. So, um, yeah. Ryan, am I missing anything uh, salient? Yeah, if I can get at us. Uh, our, on our Patreon, uh, I'm going to be putting up an episode uh, that uh, I did with uh, Josh Danger about the Ice Slicer Halloween special, um, and then a bunch of other stuff besides. Uh, that's uh, patreon.com slash rankandvile. Uh, consider hitting us up there. And if you're a listener of the show, um, please uh, uh, consider in your heart uh, going over to iTunes to leave us a review or a rating or, you know, just any, anything that uh, you, you feel is fair about, about uh, our little show. Um, we appreciate you guys so much. Uh, we, uh, you, 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 you guys are, are the real MVP here. Um, yeah, we pay zero dollars for advertising, so that's helpful. Also, um, shout out yeah. to Cobra Clutch Club one more time, Scott, for our new uh, tropical logo. Uh, we said, can you do uh, Summer Bash uh, with Sting? And he's like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very it's I, I feel like it's very tonally appropriate for for what we do, uh, but yeah, that is about all I got. Have a good week, folks. Stay spooky.